0: I could breathe again. These are the words that I spoke to myself as I overlook Cannon Beach in Portland. This was back in September. We went to a conference, and just before the conference started, conveniently, we got a sneaky trip an hour and a half to the coastal line in Portland. And uh, yes, this is the Goonies uh, mount, uh, rock where the ship apparently comes out the other side, as Rachel pointed out. Um, But in this space, um, I encouraged the leaders just to go off and be with God, just to see what God wanted to stir in their hearts before we got into the conference. And so this is my view as I stood planted on the beach with waves slowly rolling in. It was a lovely 70-degree weather, a light wind going on, just to make you jealous even more. But it had been a hard year. Uh, failure on different fronts, expectation, purpose, health, loss of relationships. In the middle, though, suddenly there was this hope. Suddenly my eyes were open wide to a wider horizon. Suddenly I could breathe again. You know that feeling when suddenly Things get lifted off your shoulders and suddenly a a canvas gets put right before you. You didn't realize that you had stopped breathing or you had been suffocated in some way and suddenly you took that big deep breath in and you could feel again. You could suddenly feel peace enter your soul. Eyes opened wide suddenly this horizon, this beautiful beach scene, and Jesus just began to speak to me words of wisdom, of comfort, of repurpose, to dream again. He just gave me these visions of what he had called me, my family, this church community too. I could breathe again. It was beautiful to feel those pieces come together. Hope had gathered in between. My circumstances had not changed whatsoever. But in the midst of the brokenness, I felt this relief, this breath of life. It was strange. It was like something had been hidden from me my whole year. It was like, you know, and maybe guys, you resonate with this. You go to the fridge and you can't find what you're looking for, but your wife comes and points and it's right in front of your face. I blame it on height. I'm looking up here and Rachel's looking somewhere down here. And she's like, have you looked? I've tried. I've looked. I've really tried this time because I really don't want to fail. I can feel the judgment of her coming on me. And I really do try, but I always seem to miss it. And it's like it's always been there, but for some reason I couldn't see it. It was like that moment I had perfect vision. I could see again. Now I can see. It's funny, in the season of Advent that we enter into, this amazing unifying story that brings the world together, light in darkness. And we are in an Advent series. Granted, we are a week late to it, and that's okay. We'll make up time. We're okay with that. We jump into our Advent season, Advent meaning Adventus in the Latin, meaning arrival, the arrival of Jesus, arrival when he came as a baby, born, poor into a virgin mother, born into the most horrific place, yet became light in the darkest moment but also the arrival of Jesus to come. The comings of Jesus is what Advent is all about. That we are in this divide of what has gone before us and what is yet to come. That we believe Jesus is coming again for a victorious bride. It says in Revelation, it says in Ephesians, that he is coming for a a bride without blemish. That's the church. The church is going to rise again. Amen. Amen. His is the yes, we are the amen. He is the God of promise. He is the God who's going to bring this about. Jesus builds his church. He's the one who does it. And we simply say amen to that truth. And so we're in this between of now and not yet. It feels like in the dead center of confusion, of question, in the middle, we find a longing. We long because we know that there's a good truth. We know there's a gospel truth that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again. And because of that truth, we have new life. Because of that hope in the past, we can look forward to the future of a good thing. We know that God is coming again to bring about his kingdom into wholeness again. And so we live in that tension of dark and light, the comings, and we long. We are called to be people of longing. So a mental exercise for you if you want to close your eyes. Don't worry, nothing bad's going to happen. But I want you to think, what do I long for? Right in this place, not lunch, not can it just be summer again for you who love summer like me, not for... Christmas to be over. You've got that extrovert in your life that's planned all these things and it just feels overwhelming. Not the Black Friday deal that you've just got, or the things you're longing for. No, I'm talking about the big picture longings. That job fulfillment. That purpose to make a difference in people's lives. That healing you're longing for. That longing for spiritual growth in walking with Jesus your family to be saved, loved ones, relationships. You're hungering. You're longing for something to change in your heart. Generational legacy. You're wanting to set up a legacy which touches not just your children, but your children's children's children. You long for that blessing to go forth. Or maybe for Washington. You have a heart when you drive through this town, you see the addiction, you see the poverty, and God, when will you change it? God, I long to see Washington come back to you. I long to see this area, this nation turn back to you. Come back to the room. You've had the nice nap. All of us were desired for shalom. I love the word shalom. Wholeness, completeness, fulfillment, inner rest, living without deficiency. Don't you want that for your life? Like That's what Jesus, God brought about in creation when he spoke, let there be light, that shalom began to reorientate this chaotic earth. And so our desire as Christians in the in-between is to have a longing that we see the world not as it should be. We have this desire and stuff that looks and sees and says, "This is not the kingdom of heaven yet," and we're in this in between. So, how do we be people of longing and inspire a healthy cultivation of longing? And so, over these next couple of weeks, we're going to look at hope, peace—sorry, hope, love, peace, and joy—and we want to cultivate those in the in between. And so, let's look at hope today. What does it mean to hope? I love this definition of what hope is. Hope is the confident expectation in the good that will come, in the good that will come. It shows in Hebrews and both Romans that hope is the unseen, the things that we do not see, yet we hope for. We hope for the good to come into this world. Hope is the vision on the horizon. Again, we have hope that something has happened that's good, that it's informed us that something will happen good again. And with confidence, we can have that brought right into the presence. But hope is waiting. Waiting sucks, right? Can we just call it in the room? Amen. Hope waiting sucks. Um, My children remind me that every day because I have to say the single words over myself and them, wait, wait. I just want to record it and just press the recorder now to them, wait. Because there is a patience that we must develop because we believe there is a beauty yet to come. And so hope invokes other attributes into our lives. And we can't live without hope for a moment. The cliche saying is that you can live 40 days without food, though that's a challenge in itself, Uh, four days without water, four minutes without air, but you cannot live a moment without hope. No matter who you are, you have hope within you. And each of us negates those uh, question of how do we hope well so maybe for you you are the optimist you are the hopeful optimist that everything is positive in fact one of my favorite positive people is from dumber and dumber harry and lloyd's that amazing moment right one of my favorite moments harry has pursued mary and at the end of the movie he stands before the woman of his dreams and asks is there a chance that we can get together And the answer is maybe one in a million. And you just see Harry's countenance change. You think sadness would drop, but suddenly this big grin comes over his face. So you're saying there's a chance. How many of you do you have in your life like that, where you have an optimistic hope inside of you, that it's one in a million, but you don't care because you've got blind hope? You just believe the best in everybody. You are an overcomer. It is just lay on the hope. Maybe for you, you you're half empty. You live by things that are sure bets, backed by insurance. Someone I think of another popular character is Dwight from The Office. I love this quote from him. All you need is love, question mark, false. The four basic human necessities are air, water, food, and shelter. For that kind of person, it is the basic necessities. You don't hope too much because you've been let down, and so you just continue to set yourself on sure bets. Never live above mediocre, and you won't be let down. And so we shape our lives that way. We limit our vision because we hate the feeling of disappointment. Both people are the enemy of hope right? Disappointment is the enemy of hope. And we both try to avoid that. Whether we try and lay it on thick, no matter the house is burning all around you, you just keep confessing that everything's good. I know that I have that temptation. It's funny, isn't it? When someone says, I'm doing not good, that really jars us. Because all of us in America, we live with the more optimism. We live more with the good than the reality, We live more with the, just lay on the optimism. For us, we may shift and make vows, I will never or it would always be this way, to create a comfort so I don't get disappointment. Because let's be honest, disappointment hurts a lot. When we experience something, when we get our hopes up for something and it does not turn out the way it should do, it is painful, it destroys us. Think about as well, hope is not an outcome, hope is the personhood of Jesus. This is the main thought we're going to have today. But I want to ask you this question, what if disappointment of losing hope is actually a gift? What if you losing hope in something is actually a gift? As opposed to dumping on the optimism or limiting our vision, what if we accept that we placed our hope in the wrong thing? What if we accept and actually sit with the reality that we don't see rightly? What if we don't see the whole picture? So today I want to focus on this because what if hope purifies our vision for true life? What if our hope purifies when we actually let hope do its work, when we have letdown of hope, that we actually begin to entertain and let disappointment hit us and realign our hope. Because hope is not an outcome. Hope is in a person. This is the takeaway line. And as I said, preparing this message was super difficult. I don't know why. Generosity, I love that message. That was just like good times, preaching of good God and all that. It's good stuff. And as a pastor, this is a reality I'm learning. What I preach seems to manifest in my life. And so um, I should have known that speaking about hope, things would go wrong, right? That I knew the morning would not go well, that other things are not going well. I should have known that I should really preach more positive messages. That's what I should do, right? But in this, and so I'm using this as an anchor. So if if you get lost, if you zone out, just write this down. Like this is the message today, and I'm doing this to help me communicate today. Let's go back to our passage here today found in John chapter 1. We're just going to quickly go through some verses here because I believe that John is bringing some amazing wisdom here for us today. Imagine John, refined, wise Grandpa John. This is decades after Jesus had gone to be with the Father. This is decades later. And imagine the marination Of these words that he puts to paper as he sits by candlelight, writing down what are the first things that I want to say to the body of Christ. And we know that in the light, which gives light to everyone, was the coming into the world. In verse 9, he's just echoing back the very first words he opened In the beginning was the words. I love that John brought it right back to the beginning. I feel like John is the hopeful optimist. I feel like he's someone like me that has a, a glass half full. And he launches in, in the beginning, writing to a people who are persecuted, still oppressed by Rome, right? Persecuted by Jewish people. He wants to write a message of hope. And where do you start? You start at the beginning. In the beginning was the word. When we hear those words, when we see the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world, we are instantly transported back to Genesis where there was chaos, where there was a void. And he brings light into that moment. John goes on to attach that this light that was spoken was the very word incarnate of Jesus Christ. That Jesus was the word and the word was with God. Two powerful statements that he is God and he is with God. In the beginning he was. And it's that hope which John wants to stir in our hearts. That Jesus is at the foundation of all things. He goes on, he was in the world and the world was made through him. Hope is an anchor. Hope is a foundation that we so need. It is faith, hope, and love. But One theologian says, it's faith and love that feel like the big parents. But any parent that knows that hope, if it's a small child, actually leads the way. The parents guide them. And so hope is the leading way for faith and love. Though love is the greatest, hope is the very foundation. And John wants you to know today, he was in the world and the world was made through him. Colossians, Paul will speak about that all things are made in and through Jesus. Everything is held together by a person. But I love that the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world, this is counter to our culture right now that says, find the light inside of yourself. Let your light shine. That is countercultural to the gospel. The gospel says you have no light outside of Jesus. The light comes into us. And that's good news today. Because for you that feels like you're disqualified, that feels like you don't have hope today, know that hope is coming into you in abundance, that this light is in the world, it is of the world, it is made through him, that every single fabric of this world that we stand in is made with Jesus holding it all together. The light coming in and he holds all things together. We read on in verse 10 and 11. Uh, Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his people did not receive him. There's an interesting outcome that happens with us when we put our hope in outcomes. There's a narrative that John knew that he had, remember this is decades later, reflecting on discipleship to Jesus. He noticed that when Jesus came, people did not respond to him the way that he had thought they would. The disciples had over and over again got riled up about who is going to be at the right hand of the Jesus, This coming kingdom that is going to squash Rome, that's going to bring about revival for the Jewish people. That once again, all the promises that were in the Old Testament were going to be fulfilled through this man, Jesus. And it was going to look amazing. But it didn't happen the way that they thought. You could almost hear the pain almost as he penned these words that people saw him, but they did not receive him. Because I believe one of the formative problems that we have with hope is that when we put hope in outcomes, we miss the picture of what hope is all about. They had hope for Jesus, not hope in Jesus. It looked like hope in what Jesus' miracles could do, in the good things that he could give for them. They were all about the feeding of the 5,000, right? But when it came to the sufferings, when it came to the brokenness, they were like, I'm out. This is not the outcome I wanted. This is not what I thought it looked like. Because hope in outcome diminishes. Hope in outcome always disappoints. And we miss the heart of what the gospel is about. Hope is in a person. Hope is in a person. Hope is in the personhood of Jesus. And so I want us just to flip over to another passage of hope in Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, at 1 to 7, we're going to read together in a moment. But hope is a personhood, and this is an amazing parallel passage for me. As I was reading this scripture uh, through my devotions this week, f- Isaiah 42 just stuck out to me. And it was in this, uh, this passage, and just to give some context, this is a messianic prophecy we're about to read. We're about to read one of the prophecies that speaks of the coming king. But in the context, as uh, Abby already mentioned, Israel is about to go through a persecution. And Isaiah is telling them over and over again, repent, turn back to God. Stop putting your hope in yourselves. Put your hope in God, this relentless message. Because Assyria is about to come and bring destruction. And then Babylon is about to finish you lot off. And it was in that context that Isaiah bring judgment and hope. Judgment and hope. He speaks a hope. This is called the song of the servant. This is one of the first of four songs that Isaiah will bring about this servant, this coming king. And it starts in verse 1. It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold my chosen. We think about the gospel that when Jesus was baptized, when he came up, that God said, this is my chosen, this is my beloved, in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations, to the cultures. Imagine hearing those words when you have echoes of judgment, of persecution, of This nation is about to come and crush you. You can imagine the children of Israel, when they were in exile, would take hold of these scriptures and read them over themselves to bring encouragement into their hearts and lives. Behold, there's going to be a servant. There's going to be renewal. You guys aren't going to always live in this oppression. Good times are going to come again. And you reading these first verse, I'd be like, yes and amen. This is what the light is all about crush the oppression, crush the nations, bring about redemption. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But this is the heart of the message why Israel missed the Messiah, why they put hope in circumstances rather than the personhood of Jesus. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. What kind of hope is that? We don't need a voice like that. God's, we need a god, we need a a a messiah that's going to come and shout, tear down walls, break things. He'll make it hurt. he won't make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice, justice. Justice. He will not grow faint or discouraged. He established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait for his law. I think about that word there. Bruised reed, he will not break. If you just read chapter four to one, there's a comparison. There's in verse twenty five. It reads this: "I've stirred up from the north, or so the Assyria. He has come from the rising to the sun, and he shall call upon my name, and he shall trample on the rulers." as on the mortar and as the potter treads the clay, Isaiah's prophesying this contrast of a force that crushes and then parallels this with a servant who does not. He comes lovingly. He comes softly. He comes and does not uh, oppress the broken. He lifts up the broken. And I love that word justice. What hope do you have for the justice of America? Because justice is repeated over and over again. And it's meaning what is it that we believe the best for? What is it that we want to see justice in this land? Because I think sometimes we as Americans, and I will use that because I am partially American, um, we as Americans, what kind of justice do we want to see? What kind of hope are we putting in? Because the servant came not crying aloud, not lifting up voice that it wasn't even heard in the street, that it actually doesn't bruise the broken. It lifts up the broken. It brings justice, but it won't grow faint. It won't be discouraged, and it will establish earth, but it doesn't look like what we think it should look like. Jesus came, the Messiah came, lived, died, and rose again, and Rome still stood. you ever thought about that? Rome still stood. What kind of hope is that? God, what are you doing? The religious system still stood. What kind of hope is that, God? Why? Why didn't you just come and crush everything? Why didn't you come smash? Why didn't you come raise a massive noise and cause destruction and rebuild something new? Because that's the key. The hope is not about destruction. The hope is about permeating into the broken and renewing all things it's not destruction, it's not overlaying something new, it's immersing itself into the center and slowly permeating out. Because the gospel is not destruction, the gospel is renewal. It takes the broken of this world and it renews it into something brand new. Matthew 12 echoes this same passage when he compares Jesus, who is healing people Matthew turns up the volume on Isaiah. See, children of Israel, it's not about the destruction, not about your hope and your way. It is about renewal through taking the lowly. See, God's justice is not to oppress. God's justice is to elevate the broken. He doesn't demise. He brings, and I get it, Old Testament, we could totally go into that whole conversation. That doesn't sound like the God of the Old Testament. Get it. But when we see through the lens of Jesus, the heart of the Father, sin is repulsive to God. It deserves death. And that is a reality. The Old Testament story tells us over and over again, sin deserves destruction. But now in the new covenant, God has a new way of doing things. He has a new method. He has a new tool. And God wants to bring about renewal, not through destruction, through immersion and transformation. This is the hope we're called to. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it. Just amazing, glorious words. Who gives breath to the people on it, to the Spirit who walk in it. Do you need breath today? He is the giver of breath. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. And this word, this phrase just leapt out to me. The Spirit just highlighted this word. I will take you. This is speaking to Jesus, but we're gonna. I want you to hold on to this phrase as we come into land for this message here soon. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you a covenant for the people, a light to the nations. So God's saying, I'm going to take the servant's hand, which is Jesus. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to keep you, and I'll give you as a covenant. You are going to be the new covenant bringer for the people. You are going to reconcile and be a light for the nations. You are going to open eyes to the blind. That's key language. Hope, hope opens eyes. Light opens eyes. Hope opens eyes. To bring out the prisoner from the dungeon, from the prison to those who sit in darkness. Goodness will come. This is what just God spoke to me. Hope in Jesus equals equals the intimacy of his hand. Hope of Jesus. So, and and we're going to just break this apart and we're just going to have some stories. I'm just going to spend some time on this phrase. Hope in Jesus Equals intimacy of his hand. I want to give some definition and language around that today. Because that's what I felt in my heart as I was reading, I'll take you by the hand. See, man transforms the world by bullying, but God suffers. Not by imposing demands on us, but by absorbing sins and miseries into himself. Isaiah 53 is a classic example. The suffering servant. He suffers for us. And this does not make sense. If we think hope is always in circumstances. If we always think that hope is about my best outcome, my flourishment. Though hope is completely about that, don't get me wrong. Hope is about the goodness of God. But if it's centered in hope of just good things, we will miss what hope, gospel hope, is all about. Because hope in Jesus equals intimacy of his hand. That is the picture that I want to kind of go through today. Because, uh, uh, sorry, just to go here quickly. Um, Because back to John, John brings about this same echo. But to all who did receive him, so for all who saw the hope, for all who understood that Jesus came as a suffering servant, not to crush, but to immerse himself into the brokenness, to sit in our uncomfortability in that and transform it, to sit with the prisoner, to sit with the outcast, to sit with those who are disregarded and bring healing into their lives, those people who understood that hope, he gave them the right to become children of God. Where else do we see children of God? In the Beatitudes? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God. What's a peace, not a peacekeeper, peacemaker? Peacemaker restores all things, brings all things together. This is what a child of God is. Hope in Jesus. Hope in the restoration, not in the crushing, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but of God. I love Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson says this, the incarnational Christ rather than the consumer Christ. The incarnational Christ, meaning incarnational, meaning present, visible, walked along this earth, was in, in the brokenness, in the hardship, manifested, rather than the consumer Christ. The consumer Christ that we in the Western world have developed is Jesus is my genie. Jesus gives me the good things. If I just live the right life, if I hope in him, all my outcomes are going to be positive and I'm going to live the good life up to the right. Does that sound like the American gospel? For the most part. I agree that not all the church would agree with that statement as well. But for most of my upbringing, that was the shaping that I had. If I just live the good, if I hope for God, the outcome would be positive. But that's not the heart message. The hope of Jesus is to bring intimacy into the hand of a good and loving Father. If we believe in an incarnational Christ rather than a consumer Christ, this will shift our vision. Not what God can do for me but what I can give for him. And so I feel like the best way I can describe this is through a story. This is a story of Sasha. She's eight years old, and she's diagnosed with a brain tumor. Her dad, Ralph, um, needed a word from God. I heard this story many years ago, and uh, it was a needed word from God in the dark. Can you imagine that your eight-year-old daughter has been diagnosed with brain tumour? There's just no words to describe the pain as a father that you would experience your own child going through that kind of pain at such a young age, that you would question God. You would be angry at God. You would be trying to hold on to every single ounce of hope that you possibly could. And he was going to the hospital to see his daughter. who was very sick at the time, and he needed a word. And this word exploded in his spirit. And he suddenly had this word, hope just simple, bold hope. And this one word he said, he suddenly saw the fullness of what God meant for us when he understood a living hope. Isn't that beautiful? That when in your darkest moment, one word just suddenly makes sense. Sometimes that's all it can take. When we're in that desperate place, we just need that one word from God that will sustain us in the most difficult and trialing seasons ever. He says this, it wasn't a kind of wishy-washy, I hope this will happen, but it, was, uh, but it won't probably, sorry, say it again, but it probably won't happen. It's the sure, confident, positive hope the way God designed us to live. Hope was not placed in an outcome, he said but in the Lord. Sasha, too, held on to a hope, not necessarily to be healed, although definitely included, but a deeper hope was brewing. The hope that comes from the certainty of being in the palm of the hand of an all-loving God. But sadly, Sasha would pass in the coming month. In the final two weeks of her life, she said, um, she went blind. And Ralph would sit by her bed and be with her. And he remembers asking her a couple of questions. I remember lying in her bed saying to her, Sasha, do you see angels? That's one of the cool things that happens as people near the end of their lives, this amazing interaction, the spiritual becomes so much more real. They begin to see so much more. It's amazing. And she responded, no, dad, I don't. And he was a bit disappointed, so he thought he would go for the big one. Do you ever see Jesus? And I asked, of course I do. He holds my hand. The dream she would be healed was shattered. But we're not disappointed with God. He hasn't changed. He still pours his love into our hearts. We don't understand her death. I doubt we ever really will. One day we'll know. These are the foundational principles of living in hope. That's why I love those words today. He takes us by the hand. He takes us by the hand. This is what hope looks like. It's not always the answers that we think but it's the hand of love that we find at the end of hope and that's the most beautiful thing that we can hold on to because hope is not in an outcome hope is in the intimacy of a loving father that when we get that messaging idea all other things don't matter i think that's the one thing that when i stood on the beach that became a reality for me amongst all the chaos and the things of disruption of my life. And my life hasn't been that bad comparison to other people. No way. But it felt real for me. And maybe for you, that's you today. It doesn't feel as bad as other people, so why do I feel so hopeless? Your story is still your story. Your hopelessness is valid. But I want to tell you today, when I stood on that beach, that reality became true. I felt like I was in the hand of a father that loved me. I felt that all the other things that were going on around me diminished because I suddenly saw for the first time that my hope was in a personhood of Jesus. Rather than the outcome of whether I succeed in ministry, whether I'm a good father, a good parent, a good husband, whether any of that really mattered, I knew that I was grounded in the intimacy of a hand that loved me, that I'd found hope in a deeper level. In the now and not yet, in the longing of wanting to see good come to this earth, I found a hope which I knew that would sustain a storm. That God is wanting to cultivate a hopeful people. Our, our, Our characteristics as Christians is to be hopeful people. We are hopeful people, not because of anything of the outcome that we see or do, but because we have an amazing, generous host who has made a way, who has redeemed us from sin, who has taken us from death. He has renewed us, and I am being renewed. I can thank God. Can anyone thank God for that this morning, that you are not who you were? Amen. And maybe you're not where you want to be today, but God is right in the middle, and he's saying, I want to hold you. I know your pain. But know today, and that's why I just thought that ministry time was so powerful today, that God wants to wrap his arms around you and say, in the struggle. And let us the promises are going to come, amen. But right now, you need a hug from the Father. You need to know that you have a hand that is holding you so strongly right now. And I think like Sasha, for Ralph even, For those amazing people that lose so much yet hold God so tightly because they find God at the bottom. They find God in the pain, in the middle. That's the phrase that I want the man in the middle. I want Jesus in the middle. That's what I want today. The promises don't matter. I want Jesus here and now. And let's be honest, my hope often is never big enough. Hope is the canvas by which God can do his work. And when I get my vision on Jesus, my hope gets bigger. Because if I just base it on the outcome of things, my vision is way too small for God. When I have a vision for this church and what God wants to do in and through each and every one of us, it will always be far too small. I think it's funny we're talking about this off the prophetic word that uh, Eric Ferguson spoke of us that this church will be a light. And so often we can look around the room and it's going to be amazing. I think God's going to do something through this community. I really do. And I think we're going to look back on these moments and be like, only God could have done this. But in this moment, we sit here and be like, how? How? Because we've got a vision on outcome rather than the personhood of Jesus. If we want to be a healing house, that's what we're called to be. God has called us that. It's not what we desire. God has said and called it over and over again from different prophets, different people, that this will be a place of healing. We've got to get this message right. Why do we need to get this message right? Let's land with this verse, my favorite one. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the heart of the Father. And we have seen glory, glory as the only son, the Father full of grace and truth. My point is, church, if we want to be true, hope reveals a God that cares so a people can care true hope where we find at the bottom in our mess that there is a Jesus that just wants to hold you. He's wanting to love you right where you're at, right here and now, in all your imperfections. And that's hard for me to think about because I'm such a challenger. I want to keep growing, keep getting better. And so when people come to me for counseling, I'll always give you like a step to move forward. My wife is amazing. She'll just sit with you and listen. And that's what I need to learn. (laughs) I'm trying to learn that because I just want to fix things. I, I hate seeing people in pain and I want to fix them. But actually often Jesus just wants to sit with people. And I think the true hope reveals a God that cares. When we really find hope that isn't in an outcome, that isn't a person, a God that cares means so much more. And what does that mean for us when we understand that kind of hope? We care for other people we need to be okay with sitting in our mess today. It's the only way you can walk with people until you just learn to sit in the mess and understand that Jesus is right with you. He's the man in the middle. I'm sure there's a song, but I won't even sing that. There is a man in the middle. The word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood, Eugene Peterson says. If God has called us to be places of healing, We can't point them to the outcome. We've got to point them to the person of Jesus. Do you know Jesus as your personal hope today? Or have you got your hope in outcome? Because as I said, hope is not in an outcome. Hope is in a person of Jesus. My prayer is, can you see now? Are you like me on the beach, looking out My prayer today is that you can maybe see today that the hope that you have in your finances, in your relationships, even the salvations of other people are valid. But God is saying, I want you to hope in me today. I want to draw you into a relationship in hoping into me. And all the other things will be taken care of. Remember? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Seek first his hope. His hope for you. His personal hope. Can you see today because all things, and this is what he means by all things are working together for those for good, for those who love him. If you love him, you hope in him. When you get that hope right, all other things start coming together. Even those things of the people who die in our lives, it all comes together for good. God makes a way, amen? And this is what it's all about. Hope in the person of Jesus Day and you will have a widened horizon of the possibility. Disappointment will come. This is not another escapism for you, right? That's what I try and do. If I can just really hope in Jesus, I won't experience. No, you will experience disappointment, but you will have an anchor that is more sure, and you will be a witness to your world. You will be a witness. When America looks like, and it is, falling apart, we can just say, I hope's in Jesus, My hope's in Jesus. My hope is in Jesus. First, John 3 talks about, do you bear witness of a hope? Do you bear witness of a hope? Can you give testimony of your hope to people today? Let's pray.